Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hello and welcome to the first edition of Extra Time for 2014. Extra Time is a web-only programme produced by Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. World cricket's in turmoil over plans by the big three, India, England and Australia, to assume greater control of the game globally. We examine the situation. For the first time, three siblings have been selected in a New Zealand Olympic team. We talk to proud dad, Bruce Wells. Frank Van Hattem, former All-Wides goalkeeper and chairman of New Zealand football for the past five and a half years, has announced he's stepping down. We talk to him about the highs and lows of his rather polarising time as head of the sport. And the New Zealand motor racing veteran Greg Murphy prepares to defend his V8 Super Tura title and concedes he's given up on returning to the Australian V8 Supercar Series full-time. A draft proposal by the big three of world cricket... India, England and Australia, recommending changes to the way the game is run globally is causing consternation among the international cricket community. The proposal recommends handing over more control to India, England and Australia, culling the Future Tours programme and changing the revenue sharing model. The current Future Tours programme theoretically means nations play each other twice over a four-year period, home and away. But under the new proposal, countries would only play each other if there was an agreement that they'd do so between the two countries involved. That means, for example, there'd be no guarantee that black caps would actually play top-tier nations like India, England and Australia. The proposal will be discussed at an International Cricket Council board meeting in Dubai next week. While South Africa has vehemently denounced the proposal, New Zealand Cricket's ICC representative Martin Sneddon's taken a somewhat diplomatic approach. We're looking as an end result for uh, something that's a workable governance system at ICC. Secondly, we want a uh, playing program for the Black Caps, in fact, for the whole of international cricket, the 10 test-playing countries, uh, ratified along the lines of the existing FTP schedule, which goes through to April 2020. So that means us having home and away tours with the other nine test-playing countries uh, with a a good mixture of tests, ODIs and and T20 matches. Thirdly, we want the the ICC event schedule, which is Cricket World Cups and and other events covering the period from 2016 to 2023 uh, to be ratified. And fourthly, and it really relates to the above um, matters, we need India to commit to full participation in uh, the FTP playing schedule through to 2020 and also the ICC event schedule through to 2023. And then finally, uh, we need a uh, agreement on a revenue sharing model out of the commercial uh, rights from the ICC events that enables New Zealand cricket revenues to be growing um, from the current base through to over a period of time through to 2023. So those are the five working parameters that our board has given to David and I and that's going to be at the forefront of our minds when we get involved in the discussions and negotiations at ICC level. So there has been speculation that uh, 
I know, as of perhaps later this year, everything is going to be divided up and New Zealand will no longer be or have a say in perhaps how the, the game is run. Well, you know, I don't think that that is going to be an outcome of this. And in fact, the, the process we're having at the moment enables us to have uh, the same sort of say in this process as we've we've had at ICC level down the years. Um, we are one of a number of different players that have voices and, and we're all in this discussion together. So uh, from our point of view, uh, what we're looking for out of this is an end result that gives us stability uh, and quality for the playing program on the field for the Black Caps extending out hopefully as far as 2023 and off the field a commercial revenue sharing model that enables our revenues to be growing through that same period of time. If we can achieve both of those things as an outcome of this process and if India is committed to all of that, then I think we will have done pretty well. So India is the main issue? Is that They obviously you know, want to be playing uh, who they consider the best? Um, I think people should understand that, that most of the uh, commercial revenue driven out of international cricket comes out of the Indian market and is driven on the back of India's participation in both the Future Tours playing programme and also the ICC event schedule. So it is critical as part of this overall discussion that one of the end results is India buying into and supporting uh, the end result and guaranteeing their participation in in all of the on-field activities that are agreed to. What if the meeting doesn't come to that and the big three say this is the way we want it to go? Well, I guess we're in the middle of a negotiation, so um, you know we've got to be prepared for any eventuality. But I think that's that's something we'll just have to think through um, between now and getting there. But essentially, my belief is that we're going to make pretty significant positive headway with just about everything that that I've outlined. Have you been talking to the other nations outside the big three, as they're called, to get some sort of uh, alliance? We've been having lots of discussions with with all of the countries, not just uh, with the the big three or otherwise, just trying to sound out uh, what people are thinking and sharing our thinking about that. It's a pretty fluid situation, um, but most of the progress, if you like, is going to happen once we're all together in Dubai next week. Do you feel that... Um, you know, you've got these proposals and your wish list that uh, some sort of future tours program goes for at least another, what, five, six years. Do you feel that's uh, possible? Is there a chance that uh, next year, 2015, um, you know, everything's out the window and you're looking to look after yourself? I think it's, a, it's pretty fundamental to all of this that uh, what we come out of here is a, a really good playing program involving all the Test 10 playing countries that extends out at least as far as 2020 and hopefully 2023. Uh, And I don't think we're going to be alone in wanting that to be a critical outcome of this process. I think that I'd be highly surprised if just about all of the nations involved in this don't want exactly that. So, you know, you have a feeling from the likes of Australia and England that, uh, you know, what you're suggesting is, is definitely on the cards? They're listening. And uh, I think they understand the validity of of what we're saying, Um, and I think that that will uh, be a vigorous part of the discussions we're having. So I have to say I feel um, 
a degree of optimism that we're going to be able to achieve most, hopefully all, of what we set out to do. So you know, we go into this discussion keeping our ears opening, listening to the views of other people, participating in discussions and negotiations, trying to influence and persuade people uh, in the direction that we want them to go. Uh, it appears in a way that, especially in the uh, India, it's a case of sort of bullying and this is the way they want things to be done. What you've probably seen in international cricket uh, over the last decade is the commercial strength of India has escalated is that they have been flexing their muscles in, in all sorts of directions on a regular basis and that's just part and parcel of, of the environment we operate in. And, and if you think about it, in a, in a normal commercial situation where you have some major players and some um, smaller players, it's, it's normal rather than unusual for the major players to flex their muscles. So it's not surprising and uh, we understand it and from our point of view as one of the more uh, smaller nations it's about us trying to navigate our way through the environment that's in front of us to to get people across the line on the sorts of things that are most important to us. Would you want the change otherwise? In the sense that they're forcing this? Yeah, we're pretty focused on achieving the sort of end results that I've spelt out. If we move significantly from there I suspect we're going to have some problems with uh, supporting what's on the table but there's a lot of water to go under the bridge yet before we get to a point of actually having to um, make a final decision as to what we support and what we don't. What is fundamental to it all is the quality of the playing program for our team in international cricket and the quality of the revenue sharing model that goes with that. That's New Zealand Cricket's ICC delegate Martin Sneddon talking to Barry Guy. And while Sneddon and New Zealand Cricket are talking about navigating their way around the politics involved in the situation, the approach from South Africa and Pakistan hasn't been so softly, softly. Both nations condemning the plan. The Federation of International Cricket Associations has also expressed concern about the impact the proposal could have on the sport. Neil Manthorpe is a South African cricket commentator and told Morning Report's Simon Mercep that world cricket should be worried about what is in store. And one thing that uh, Martin Sneddon couldn't possibly say is uh, that, uh, that, that, in, that New Zealand were upset because they've seen what happened to South Africa. They've seen what happened to us. I mean, I have absolutely no doubt whatsoever, um, and many of the top-ranking officials around and the other major nations um, outside of the uh, self-proclaimed Big Three, um, they have no doubt whatsoever that India would up sticks and walk away if uh, New Zealand kicked up a fuss and said that they were going to vote against this proposal. And if they did vote against the proposal, not only do I honestly believe, hand on heart, that India would, uh, Srinivasan would call the Indian team out of New Zealand and you wouldn't play the test series, but uh, the the... the, the uh, the follow-on result would be that India would say, well, fine, we're not going to come and play against you again. And New Zealand, like the other seven other uh, um, nation, test-playing nations outside the Big Three, depend fundamentally on Indian tours for television revenue that keeps them alive. The current tour in New Zealand will um, bankroll New Zealand cricket for the next three or four years. They're absolutely dependent on, in, on Indian tours. So Martin Sneddon, why would he put up his hand and say, we're, we're not going to stand for this, this is, anti, this is uh, undemocratic and, and unfair and unconstitutional when it would bankrupt New Zealand cricket? I wouldn't be Martin Sneddon and do that. I would also be navigating at this stage.
Goodness, well, that's an amazing statement that you believe the Indians would actually walk out of the tour early if New Zealand voted against them. So what then? Well, where, I, where, I, where, does, where does that leave I, South I, Africa? Can I, can I, what, what, where, how will South Africa I, vote? I'll just give you... I, I'll remind you that of the South African example because um, people here uh, three or four months ago were saying there's no way India will curtail the tour. It's been minuted in an ICC meeting. It has been, it's on the Future Tours program. It's three test matches. It's seven one-day internationals and it's three T20s. And South Africa were banking on that revenue and had done a, a revenue forecast for, for three or four years dependent on that revenue. It, India did exactly as they threatened to do. They cut the tour to the bare minimum of two tests and three one-day internationals. Um, it cost South Africa $25 million. It set back the development and the running and the funding of the game here for the next uh, two or three years. And, and, and frankly, um, New Zealand and New Zealand cricket lovers are kidding themselves if they think that India wouldn't do that. Uh, three or four years ago, they threatened to walk out of in the middle of a test series against Australia when uh, there were um, accusations of, uh, of, of, a, I think, probably less severe... Um, nature against uh, Harbour Jan Singh during a test match. I mean, they called in a private jet that was waiting at Adelaide Airport ready to take the team home. So uh, Srinivasan is a ruthless man who cares nothing for the game on the field. The only game that matters for him is the one played in the boardroom. That's South African cricket commentator Neil Manthorpe. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. For the first time, three siblings have been selected for a New Zealand Olympic team. The Wanaka Freestyle Skiing brothers Jossie, Byron and Bo James-Wells have been named in a 15-strong team to compete at next month's Sochi Winter Olympics. The brothers are currently competing at the X Games in Aspen in Colorado and their father and coach Bruce Wells told Barry Guy just how proud he is. Oh, it's pretty cool to have three sons going. It's, uh, it's, it's fantastic. Uh, uh, the really cool thing is actually been watching them so dedicated and working so hard and... Uh, you know, injury is a big part of this game, and uh, I think it's really the mark of a man if he can uh, get really hurt and uh, go through the rehabilitation process, turn it around, come back, and even step it up even further. So, uh, pretty pretty pleased with where these boys are. They're, they've been great to work with, and uh, really enjoy it. And they obviously love what they're doing. Um, but uh, let's see if they keep uh, keep pushing the limits. Now you're coaching, of course, and this obviously has been going on a long time. How's that relationship been? Yeah, <laughs> um, it's an interesting one, you know, um, juggling the fact that you're a parent and and then balancing that against uh, being a coach in a sport where um, you know fairly high speed, uh, fairly high um, impact if things go wrong and. Uh, you know, they're, they're your kids that are up there doing this. And uh, so at the same time, you know, from the elite level, you're, you're trying to get the most out of them. But from your, the parent level, you, you don't want them getting too banged up. So it's uh, trying to walk that fine line, I, I found, to be the most difficult part of it. The kids are great to work with. You know, they're, they're absolutely quite single-minded, really. They, they love what they do. And uh, so my job's actually pretty easy um, from, on, on the coaching side. Do do you think perhaps you're a little bit harder in some way that you're the father, or is it the other way? You know, what I have noticed is I can be completely blunt and real with them. So an example is if, if they do a run, and I think it was rubbish, I'll tell them it's rubbish. Um, and 
sometimes, you know, you try to always look for the positive in things. You know, you did this well and we'll build that up. But uh, the boys are pretty harsh on themselves. They're their own harshest critics. And uh, I guess that's just <laughs> part of what the family is, you know. It's, uh, you know, you don't do well, you get called out on it. And uh, this is a first, three siblings in the same Olympic team for New Zealand. Yeah, apparently so. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it wasn't something we were chasing or anything else like that. It, uh, uh, it's happening. It's pretty cool. Uh, it's gonna, I mean, it's great. I, I, I mean, we, we've done a lot of planning um, with the Winter Performance Program uh, around this Olympics. And one thing that was coming through quite consistently to from all the athletes and coaches is that we wanted to normalise an unusual situation, which is the Olympic Games. It's not a normal environment. And, and I think it'll be a, a real advantage to us to have, you know, the boys and me there um, where, you know, hopefully we can, you know, it's a normal situation. So uh, hopefully that'll be to our advantage, actually, because um, we are a long way away from home. Um, we're, we're stuck in that, up in this village for, for a number of weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, at least we get on with each other. Bruce Wells talking to Barry Guy. Bruce Wells says it was decided his fourth son Jackson was a bit young to go through the Olympic qualifying process. The often polarising five-and-a-half-year reign of Frank Van Hattam as head of New Zealand football is coming to an end. Van Hattam, a former All-Wides goalkeeper, has announced he's stepping down as chair of New Zealand football next month. One of Van Hattam's final acts was to end Ricky Herbert's tenure as national coach after the All-Whites failed to qualify for this year's World Cup in Brazil when they lost the playoff qualifying series against Mexico. Joe Porter spoke to Van Hattam about the highs and lows of his time in the role. It's really um, motivated by work, um, work commitments that have been pretty massive in the last few months and are going to be major in, the, in coming forward. So working with the board, we were looking succession, whether it was you know, sort of this year or next year. Um, but now is the time right for me, and it's also a natural time for the game. We've got a new CEO, we've got um, you know the new all-white program to come into place, and we're very, very financial and in a good shape. So uh, it just felt right for me, personally, because I couldn't do justice to both roles. High points and low points, any particular ones that stand out for you in your tenure? There have been quite a few, and obviously some low points, and I think that's the beauty of sport. You know, We're always going to have a disappointment like the all-whites, and yeah, we'll all feel that pain, and uh, and we do, and that should help drive us to greater things. But clearly, I mean, the overall one is an interesting one. I'm just proud of where the game's at. That it's you know that people care about it, they get passionate about it, they want to talk about it. That kids wear you know wear uh, shirts in the street, and uh, so that whole the the overall football experience for me has come a long way, and I'm proud of that because I've loved the game for 50 years, and to see kids aspiring to be all whites or football ferns and, and, you know, is wonderful to watch and uh, the passion and the moments of magic are well worthwhile. After the ecstasy of, of South Africa, can you just sort of explain what it was like facing the challenges or the difficulties of the last year in qualification? Um, yeah, and then there's a full independent review. We'll look at that to help inform the way forward. Um, yeah, there's many, many issues with how to get the international program more coherent, you know, and it's never, there's no easy fix. And uh, it's always going to be tough to get games. It's always going to be tough to get the players released because of which part of the world we're in. But there's things we have to solve. And the interesting thing is we've solved them in the past, um, but sometimes that's been just as much good luck as good management. But it's something we need to keep working on. 
But I, I venture to say, it doesn't matter if you had the best build-up in the world, it's still a football match, and you can still come up short. What's your relationship with Ricky like, and did you sort of end things amicably? Without a doubt, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a friend from Ricky. I'm also, you know, um, a critic of Ricky. I'm also a supporter of Ricky. You know, people have, you know, bagged people along the way. Um, you know, Ricky's had some highs and some lows, and we should not forget the contribution he's made to New Zealand football, and some of the things we were he's taken the All Whites with that passion. And uh, the big thing for me was allowing him the dignity to go and the respect that we, and, and it was great to see the public. Um, you know, acknowledge that on that last day at um, in Wellington. You know, so you can have your opinions, and that's the beauty of football. We all love or hate our coaches, depending on their previous week's um, results. And over time, people will come to realise that he did make a contribution. And um, you know, and any good coach will uh, garner opinions for and against. Any sort of plans to perhaps work your way up the uh, FIFA ladder at all? I'm very interested in football administration and doing what I can to help the game. And I was very proud of my um, role as a chairman of a task force that helped bring about some change and process and uh, transparency in FIFA. And um, you know, they were of all reports appreciative of my work on that. So it's it's never been a personal motivation to do anything, you know, to take all the glory trips and that. Um, I've said I will help where I can. But right now, and one, that's one of the issues, I can't in my role as chairman um, fulfil the obligations you're expected to do with FIFA and OFC. So uh, it all comes down to a work capacity that I'm not able to do both justice. Um, I have said to OFC, New Zealand Football and FIFA, I will, if needed, assist where possible. I'm a passionate supporter of football and I just want to see the game keep progressing. But uh, it's all timing and uh, never say never of anything. You don't have your eyes then on a particular post you might quite like? I'd never be president, and that's bigger than the UN, that job, but uh, no, I don't. I'm, you know, I've got a very big role with BP. I'm a director of BP that's got a number of uh, major considerations and uh, responsibilities, and uh, it fully engages my time. I've almost had two full-time jobs for six years now, so uh, you know, I've, I've made a decision that I can't do justice to both, and um, you know, some things have to give. It'd be lovely to stay around and stick around for the Under-20 World Cup next year. But, you know, like I say, the work involved in that is, is quite major. You know, it would be nice to go to the World Cup this year, but, you know, the work and time involved in that's major. So you make decisions and you have no regrets. And I have no regrets about what, what I've done in football. I've played a small part in, in, in the revival and the development of the game. I'm very proud of that. There have been a few CEOs come and go in your time at the NZ Football. Oh, I just Any reflection on that? Yeah, and once again, you know, people hear something and they think, oh gosh, how shocking is that? Well, in my time there's been two, because, you know, when uh, Graham left, he'd done his job, and he left, and so when I came over in 2008, there's been two in five and a half years. So, and both Graham, Michael and Grant have done the job they've set out to do, and we'll still speak and pump <laughs> it in the airport, and I can still sit with them friends. So they did a great job in, in the areas, and we work about phases, and Grant's phase um, was a certain one, and... Uh, He's an entrepreneur-type uh, person, and he's moving on to some things that are really moving him. He did a good job in what he was set out to do. Um, so I don't have any problem with that. The game has made significant progress, and Michael and Grant were a big part of that, and uh, they should take some credit for that. And uh, and the next CEO, who um, you know, we've spent a lot of time um, working through that process, appears to have all the credentials. Um, we've had a lot to do with him already, and uh, I think he'll be a significant difference for New Zealand football as well in the next phase as we, as we move through that. Joe Porter talking to the outgoing chair of New Zealand football, Frank Van Hattem. A replacement for Van Hattem will be elected at next month's board meeting.
Next month, too, former London Irish Rugby Club Chief Executive Andy Martin takes up his new role as CEO of New Zealand Football. He replaces Mark Aspin, who has acted as Chief Executive since the resignation of Grant McAvener in July. You're listening to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme from Radio New Zealand Sport. I'm Stephen Hewson. The New Zealand motor racing veteran Greg Murphy's given up on returning to the Australian V8 Supercar Series full-time. Murphy begins the defence of his New Zealand V8 Super Tourist title this weekend in the opening round at the Highlands Motorsport Park in Cromwell. He spent 15 years driving full-time on the Australian V8 circuit, but last year was only part-time with the Holden Racing Team. Murphy, who's now 41, says he accepts that stage of his career is now over, although he still intends racing in the enduro events such as Bathurst. He told me the domestic supercar series now takes on a greater significance for him. It does a bit. I mean, I, I mean, I've put a fair bit of effort into this anyway. You know, sort of um, because I, you know, support the category wholeheartedly. I think the concept is is just so sound and and really probably one of the best concepts uh, in motorsports that you'll find anywhere. And our control class is, is uh, certainly for New Zealand is, is the way to go, and it's cost effective and and um, has so many things going for it. So you know, I've been very supportive of it, and um, you know, that's why I'm here, uh, being involved in it and and uh, hoping to help help it grow. I mean, it's, we're starting off this year here in Cromwell very early, which is which has sort of hurt a few teams, you know, getting themselves turned around from um, the end of 2013. So not the not the best start to the season that we could have uh, hoped for, but um, you know, uh, we'll, it'll get back to its full uh, full strength pretty early on, probably in a couple of weeks when we get to Manfield. The, the quality of the field certainly seems to be growing. Well, the, the whole thing about our class. The supercar class is the the ability and um, uh, and provides you know young drivers with the you know the intent to try and make a career out of the sport. It provides them with a really good platform and an even platform. It's not all about how much money you got. It's about it's about being able to, to deal with and learn and drive the, the race car a certain way and um, you know show your talents. And, and you know, not worry about the guy next door who may you know have uh, been able to spend another hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars. You can't do that on these cars. You know, there's a certain amount of money they take to co- uh, they cost to run, and then um, you know everyone's got the same stuff. So it comes down to you know the ability of the driver and his and his team to to do the job, and and that's what's you know very favourable about it. What sort of budget are we talking about? Obviously, if you keep it off the walls and keep it out of the uh, the rear end of the car in front of you, um, it's going to be much. It's going to be cheaper, but you know you are talking a couple of hundred grand, uh, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, depending on how you run the car. And obviously, there's a lot of teams here uh, running the cars differently and using um, uh, obviously volunteers, volunteers and bits and pieces to to do it uh, rather than you know having full time staff. So you know, and that's the way New Zealand way. I mean, you can you can do it very cost effectively, or you know you can obviously spend a bit more money with staff and bits and pieces to do it uh, a little bit differently. So. You know, um, there's ways and means to get get through it, and everyone in the pit lane is doing it a little bit differently. And do you see more and more talent coming through? There's no shortage of it. You know, there's no shortage of the talent out there. You know, we've we've uh, proven over decades of you know the depth of um, you know talent in New Zealand, and 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 that's not going to end. It's just the ability of these of this, this young talent to raise the the funding and the sponsorship, and all you know, more generally just the funding to be able to get into you know. Um, uh, top tier motorsport, and uh, this is definitely a stepping stone to Australia. We've got a lot of Australian guys coming backwards and forwards doing doing racing here in New Zealand because of the cost effectiveness of it and the competition. 
and u- using that as you know to, to build on their Australian um, sort of uh, aspirations. So um, there's no shortage of it. It's just as usual with sponsorship and car racing, uh, finding the money to, to make it happen. What stage of career are you are you now at for 2014? <laughs> I, I know there's, there's a bit of talk around that you might be replacing Russell Ingle. Oh no, no. Well, <laughs> That'll be uh, a very small amount of talk because that's not happening and um, I'm uh, not replacing Russell Engel. Russell Engel should have been replaced a long time ago. <laughs> so is there any hope that you, you get, might get a regular drive for 2014? No, not, not in V8 Supercars. No, listen, I, I, to be honest, you know, I've, I've um, sort of uh, come to the conclusion that, you know, that, that, that time has passed. Um, you know, I've uh, made some changes in my life and, and uh, you know, it's changed a big time in Australia and it's not the, not the place it used to be and there's definitely a bit of a focus on younger guys out there and there's also a focus on the younger guys that can bring a whole lot of money to, to do it as well. So some teams are well funded and, and a lot of the other teams are having to be funded by the drivers. I don't want to be a part of an operation that's not going to be funded correctly then give me the give me the ability to do my job at, at the best I can. So, you know, I'm, I'm looking at different things. So, so what does the future hold for you? Well, we moved back to New Zealand actually full time, uh, which is a big shift. Obviously, still hoping to you know be a part of and help make Super Tours a success and work on on the other relationships that I have got around the place with you know with uh, great partners I've had for a very long time. So put a bit of effort, more effort into that and and do a bit of racing. Still going to do the Enduros overseas uh, in Australia. Sorry, join the Holden Racing Team again and be a part of the endurance races. So you know there's, there's busy times, got a lot going on. Has it been difficult to get to that point, or has things sort of unfolded that that's just simply the way it is? It's unfolded, and there's no doubt. It's sort of it's a few um, sort of situations sort of um, you know sent me off on that path. You know, the last couple of years in the supercars was was a bit uh, disillusion disillusioning, and I didn't really you know get out of it anything near what I wanted or expected. Had to uh, look at different things. So that made it possibly a little bit easier than. Having to actually say, right, my, my time is up yep. here, or well, yeah. mate, I know if it made it easier, it was quite tough still accepting that that was where I was at. So, um, you know, but uh, you got to do these things. And I've been, I've been very fortunate. I made some right decisions at the right times, and then unfortunately, you know, as you do sometimes, you make some bad ones. And you know, a couple of things I did later in my in my career, you know, unfortunately sent me off into putting me in a position where you know it, uh, it didn't end anywhere near as uh, as well as what I'd um, I'd planned. So, you know. That's just one of those things. I'm not going to not going to dwell on it too much, but it, you know that it was sort of some frustrating stuff that um, meant that I lost control of being able to make the, the best decisions, and um, you know, and uh, we tried to do some some things, and you know, that uh, we thought was the right things, and it turned out to be not so not so good. But you know, that's the way it goes. I was talking to New Zealand motor racing veteran Greg Murphy, and that brings us to the end of the first edition of Extra Time for 2014. Remember, if you wish to contact us, you can email us at sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Stephen Hewson. Bye for now. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.